0: Thinking of all the good operational intelligence Whatever. insights. Whoa. Whatever. When he teases me about being a day younger, I call him baby bro, right? That's my
1: ah. that is my nickname for it.
2: <laughs>
1: with, with gray hair all
2: over the place. Yes. Roland the baby bro. That is what we want to call you. That's a good nickname.
1: Should we establish uh-huh. nicknames on the show? I tried to avoid this for fifty-six years. Come on, man. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the What's Your Baseline podcast. In this show, we talk about our experiences and lessons learned in enterprise architecture and business process management. What's Your Baseline is designed to be for everyone. Newbies who are just getting started with these topics, organizations who want to improve their EA and BPM groups and the value they get from it, as well as practitioners who want to get a different perspective and care about the discipline.
2: Each episode will tackle different key topics, providing context, background, best practices and stories from the road, inviting you to learn from our challenges and successes, and demonstrating key tools to help you set up your practice and get the most out of it.
1: I'm your host, Roland Woldt, and I'm joined today by my co-host, J.M. Erlinson.
2: Hey, J.M., how are you doing today? I am doing great, Roland. It is... Getting to be finally a little bit actually cold. It's weird. Everyone's like, I love the summer. Oh my God, beach time. And I'm like, when it gets cold, that is my jam. I want it to be below freezing so I can bundle up and have a nice walk in the crisp winter air. How are you feeling today, my friend? Definitely not wintry, and I wish it was summer. (laughs) Oh... (laughs) I'm sorry, Roland. Only one of us can ever be happy. That's how the podcast works, right?
1: Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, I think what we can do is we can have a very warm and cozy conversation with our guest today, because I'm happy that we have one of my colleagues, uh, or as they say, my twin brother from whatever, <laughs> another mother and half a, a, a planet away. Uh, we have Shoaib Shavit on the podcast today and uh little hint show Up is about exactly one day older than i am so i'm i'm, ha- I'm giving respect to the elders and welcome show Up <laughs> to the show <laughs> well oh, thank you for having me guys you know uh i just
0: got back from munich so i see the snow and the cold and the crispness of all of it and you know I'm, I'm maybe a fan for a few days but after
2: yeah. that i don't like it anymore so- <laughs> where, are you ba- where are you based out of show Up? Wait, wait, i'm based so- out of dallas i'm based out
0: of oh. dallas so you know, we get just about enough you know just about enough cold to make it bearable right a couple of days of snow every once in a while we get a you know ice storm of the century but eh, mm-hmm. it doesn't happen that often
2: based in dallas my goodness that is a warm place all year round i love it i love it but you know here's the thing for our audiences looking in This is the the wintry season, so wherever you are, we are hoping that you're warm and happy. But speaking of things that are warm and happy, Shob, I think our audience would like to get to know a little bit more about you before we start our formal interview component. With that in mind, tell us a little bit about yourself. Um, What are your experiences in the past? Who are you and what have you done?
0: Yeah, so I've been a a software guy pretty much all my life, right? So I... uh, I started my career in Honolulu, Hawaii. You know, I, I graduated Ooh. there uh, with a master's degree in electrical engineering. and uh, Such a show-off.
2: Such a show-off. <laughs> <laughs> Hawaii to Texas. You, know, you really don't I, like the cold, do you? Oh, <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, I'll get there in
0: a second, though. Uh, so we, uh, I ended up working for this company that built air traffic control and air defense communication systems. It was really interesting because the company had uh, a backlog of orders of $40 million, but no product, right? So all we had to do was build a a new digital communication solution, right? For mission mission critical environments like air traffic control and air defense communications. Mm -hmm. That was pretty much it, right? And so (laughs) I joined my first job in that kind of a situation, right? And so we ended up building this thing and during building such a complex solution, right, I I figured out a lot of things to do right, but more importantly, you know, a lot of things we did wrong and what not to do, right, so I, I learned fairly quickly the pitfalls of a waterfall approach and, you know, how not to <laughs> have these well-defined phases like, you know, uh, requirements and design and implementation and integration, right, and you end up in endless integration, right? We called it the endless integration phase where nothing works. But, but anyway, it was, it was a great experience to actually build something like this. And it ended up actually being deployed at the second largest air traffic control area in the world, right? And that's over Reykjavik, Iceland. So if you don't know, if you fly from Europe to North America, you go over Iceland because the earth is round and you go up and down, right? And so we built the... Uh, air traffic communication system there that allows people on the ground to talk to planes and even during that time a long time ago uh, there were at least three four hundred planes in the air at all points in time right so there was always that traffic and you have to make sure that the planes didn't collide with each other and also the planes were guided to the right path right so you have These highways in the sky, right? There's you know problems like weather and turbulence and all kinds of stuff. So you can't fly anywhere, right? You can only fly in certain places. And the job in for the people in Reykjavik was to make sure that you flew in those routes, right? And for that privilege, they charged I think fifteen hundred bucks a plane at that time. Probably they charge a lot more now. Uh
2: Well, that's amazing. You had no product, but you had a lot of sales. So my goodness, that must have been an interesting experience of having to jam through the creating something from scratch to fulfill orders that had already been created. Oh my goodness.
0: There was a product, old product, right? But that wasn't what people wanted, right? So they, they wanted something that was brand new, digital, right? So we It was a time when you had this object oriented programming, right? C, you had this programmable logic from Xilinx, right? So you you could program your chips to do what you wanted. Mm -hmm. You know, you had the embedded microprocessors and embedded operating systems and all all kind of stuff. And all the new things we, you know, we put into one system which was mission critical and could never come down. So (laughs) that was
1: was interesting. (laughs) <laughs> I think that, that, that's the wrong question. The right question is, do you still have the number of that sales guy? Because ah, we need to hire this guy.
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs>
0: yeah, wow. The company was privately owned and the, the owners had very good relationships with the whole air traffic control community. Mm-hmm. You know, they also had military contracts, right? Because again, the same systems that you use to talk to commercial aircraft can be used to talk to fighter planes right? Same concept. Yeah. except for different purposes, right? I was saying, oh, in one case, you're trying to keep the aluminum apart and in the other, you're trying to bring it together, right? So, you know, <laughs> that's how I see it. But again, since then, right, I've kind of been involved in other enterprise software, uh, digital communications, automation, process intelligence, companies. And more recently, I've been involved with process intelligence and automation for large projects, right? So we had the privilege of working with clients that were doing major transformation projects. And a lot of them had uh, SAP and they were upgrading to S4 HANA. And then when you do that, you're also trying to figure out why we are doing this and what what should we do with our business? How should we handle our processes? So all of that stuff comes up, right? You, you don't want to spend multiple, sometimes hundreds of millions of dollars doing something if there really wasn't a tangible business reason for doing so, right? It's not just upgrading software, it's a lot more than that.
1: So what is your current role and and what are the challenges that you see in uh, your current position?
0: So my current role at, at iGraphics is chief product officer. I've talked to dozens of customers, prospects, partners, here as well as in my previous roles, and I find that, that whole space is hot again, for whatever reason, you know, process comes into vogue and goes away. I feel like process is back. And I think the reason is that, you know, there's been a a big change in how people are looking at business, right? COVID had a big impact on that, right? More and more, right, business is, is digital, you know, people are coming in through your digital front door, you have your customers, your suppliers, partners, everyone is interacting with you in whole new ways and therefore the way you do business needs to fundamentally change which means your processes have to change and so there's a big desire to say okay what's the current state of the art what sort of technology is available to do that right and so a lot of questions around that uh, and and people really have a a desire to do more than what they're doing before
1: yeah and and we see obviously the influx of more technology you know i don't want to beat the dead horse again you know process mining that became very popular a couple of years ago and and all those things uh, that obviously give it a push which is different than the the previous business model which was i sell you a notepad and a pencil and now we can draw the map how to to visit me right and yeah i think this is what we see whether the the demand picks up which also comes with challenges
0: yeah
1: so so there's a there's a convergence of a number of different key
0: technologies that are maturing, right? So process mining is one of them. So process mining is no longer some kind of experimental thing that only a few people with lots of money can do. It's becoming more mainstream. Mm-hmm. In addition to process mining, I think you also have task mining, which is somewhat similar but different, right, which is actually you know, looking at your desktop, uh, people actually performing work on the desktop, and from that, trying to reverse engineer or divine process information or task information or business activity information. So that's task mining. There's process mining, which actually uh, connects to your backend systems and uh, is able to actually uh, get you process information, a pretty fairly detailed set of information about your process. And then the third rail of all of this is, you know, AI is becoming a lot more mature and interesting. So there are interesting ways to take information from multiple sources, right? So you can have people telling you something about their processes. You can have backend systems tell you other things. You can have the desktop side tell you more information. You know, what we see is that there's a way to combine information effectively from multiple sources using AI to construct a a much more comprehensive picture of what you do, how you do it and then be able to improve it in meaningful ways, right? So it's not just doing it for the sake of doing it because you have to, but actually achieving, uh, you know, I think very interesting business outcomes from this.
2: Yeah, I think that's always a challenge I see with this multitude of technologies is this idea of harmonization. Mm -hmm. Harmonization feels like the next frontier. And you spoke about AI. Understanding and harmonizing multiple data sources into a single picture of reality, man, that is a promise I have yet to see fulfilled completely. But it's definitely something on everyone's mind because of how much data they have available to them. They've already paid to monitor from so many places. And I think what they're struggling to do is put it all together into a picture that's meaningful. That's the next one for me.
0: I agree. Uh, I think the problem is that people are drowning in data now, right? So it's good to collect data, but the volume of data that people collect, right, it makes it harder for them to actually decipher what's important, right, or also be able to pay attention to it. (laughs) Yeah,
2: more is bad, actually, yeah.
1: I think sifting through it in some meaningful ways is what we want to do. Yeah, but I think it's it's also another thing. Everything we just said, which I agree with, is all looking backwards. I think what makes it different to the topic of, of this episode here is, and we spoke about this with uh, uh, John a couple of episodes ago, is the forward-looking way, you know, the prediction. It's the simulation. It's like... Uh, where do we take the data and how much of the, the future can we predict so that we give instructions and make business cases and all these things
0: absolutely right absolutely so so yes the current state of the art is that you don't make decisions based on looking at the rear view mirror right which has been basically how we do analysis right we would look at things from the last quarter or the quarter before or the last year and then say okay well this happened and and therefore I need to do something to prevent that from happening or to optimize for that condition that occurred in the past what's happening now right is that you are able to make predictions of what is going to happen so you're not just analyzing things that happened in the past like for example if you you know look at a burnt house you're looking at okay well maybe you plugged in this left the you know iron on on or some electrical shot occurred which caused this to happen but what you're doing is you're, you're actually looking at processes as they execute in real time. And from that, you're trying to predict that what is going to happen in the future and how incomplete processes are going to finish. Right. And some of these processes are long running. Right. I mean, if you're if you're building a Boeing aircraft, for example, right, that's not. It's not built in a day, the processes get pretty complex and the things tied to supply chain, to manufacturing, all of those things take a very long time to happen. So in the middle of your process, if you were able to say, I think I'm gonna run into trouble because of what's already happened and therefore I need to make adjustments now before waiting to see that something went wrong, right? So this whole, this concept of predictive analytics becomes really interesting because you're gathering that process data as the process is executing, right? And as you do that, you uh, you see patterns and you see variables that might impact your, your output or your KPIs. And then you say that this variable it seems is out of whack, right? So let's do something about it now and, and fix it. And instead of you trying to find that yourself, the system can alert you, right? It can say, look, I found something because you told me or I discovered that these five parameters impact those three KPIs and therefore you're not going to have enough inventory to actually make the next shipment. Or you're going to have too much inventory, which is going to cause you to have additional warehousing costs, which you don't want, right? So a good example of this, you know, some things we are looking at, right? Uh, This concept of... uh, dynamic supply chain planning, for example, right? So you you look at a supply chain process and you hook up data from multiple backend systems to monitor the supply chain process. And as you're doing that and you see it execute hundreds of thousands of times, you can say that I know the five variables or the 10 variables that impact your key outcomes, right? So I know these four suppliers are usually late in delivering goods by this much or you, know, you, you order this much extra. And so, so I, I sort of know what goes on and from that I can predict what's going to happen. And then what I'm also doing is as I see these things execute, right? I'm also running simulations. So I'm running what if scenarios to say, well, what if, what if something else happens, right? Or what if this supplier becomes late or what if the, the, the plant is, is not functional at a certain point in time? So I can start to to run these simulations and then use the results of that to train a model and then, then say, okay, fine, I can now predict you know, what, what will happen, and therefore I can tell you what to do about it. And therefore you don't have to replan, right? So a lot of supply chain processes, you have a plan, you do something, you go back, you replan, you replan, and so you want to avoid that constant replanning cycle. And therefore you want to look ahead, right? So, so you're looking forward into what's going to happen and try to make decisions based on that. So that, that part is interesting. But all the yeah. things that we are, uh, we're sort of describing here, right The questions you ask about leads us to the topic, which is operational intelligence. you know Why did we use the term operational intelligence as opposed to just process intelligence or other terms? Because we think it's broader than process mining, right? It's not just, okay fine, I do process mining and I'm done. And that's not enough right so the, so you mm-hmm. need to actually look at again multiple sources of information process mining, task mining you got to combine that with with simulation with predictive analytics, with monitoring right just to, to get that data coming in constantly to then have something meaningful to to say about the process.
2: Yeah it's funny for, for me this this is almost verging on, Something that I've I've seen done in a bunch of different ways along the along many many years. This feels like the next evolution, almost, of actuarial science, where you're doing predictive risk analysis. Because that that's that's a that's like a, a way that they, you know, they would use the alchemy slash mathematics of something like that to predict risks, apply preventative controls by purporting to see the future. And well, in previous incarnations, that may have been through best practices, or, or knowledge, or experience, or whatever somebody came up with in their creative mind as an actuarial scientist. This feels like it's a technology enabled with more certainty, with data processed to reduce the chance of error, which is obviously very large in a guesswork-based field. Yeah. So, t- tell me how that how that you see that evolution from not guesswork, I suppose, educated guesses to technology-powered certainty going? Yeah. So I think the advantage that you have
0: with the new technologies is that you're looking at every execution of that process, right? All the time. And that's very hard to observe without the technology, right? So that's one part of it. And also, there's a certain level of confidence, right? So it's not 100%. So the predictions are made with a level of confidence, and those can be anywhere from, you know, 70% to 90% confidence that that something is about to occur or not occur. So again, it's it's much better than than actually doing it in the ways the actuaries did it before, and also you're doing it with a much much larger volume of data from multiple sources, right? So. And the compute power that's required to run the simulations you have today, right? And so, that's why it becomes more feasible. So a lot of these technologies have existed before, right? I mean, you know, we were studying yeah. the mechanics of this in college, right? Long, you know, long time ago. I mean, I won't say how long because I'll tell me, I'll tell you how old I am. <laughs> a year older than Nolan, who's only 21. I don't know, <laughs> a day older. Sorry, not a year a day.
1: Yeah. You wish luckily, this is an audio podcast. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm not looking at the future for myself. I want to go
0: into the past see. Yeah.
1: Uh. But speaking of that,, sure, uh, in all seriousness, where do you see the impact on organizations? And, and let me draw a picture that is not so great. you know and I, I've read about this with the current AI uh, uh, conversation that we have already. Will we as people, just become stupid followers of a computer. No, right? or do you have a more positive outlook? You know, will we uh, will we use that technology to free up whatever energy to do different things and and bring us yeah. as whatever organizations on a higher level? So where yeah. where do you see the impact of these technologies?
0: So I I have a less
1: bleak view of of
0: AI and how it impacts people in general, right? So I think we are much more creative as a species, as human beings, way more than AI can ever be. AI can only do what's been done before. Think about it, right? Because you can't train a model unless you have data or unless you have something that has occurred. It's not actually going to do something entirely new or or novel at any point in time. The other thing too is, look, people can actually come up with better ways of doing something by observing or looking at these things what ai does is just gives them a much better way to do this right so it actually gives them tools that that are on their side that helps them be more creative produce something entirely different create something new right so so that part won't go away what what also happens right is you know you you don't want to focus on this mundane stuff. You know, that's not fun, right? It doesn't bring joy to you, right? So you, but you have to do it anyway, right? I mean, if you think that we don't do drudge work, we all do it, right? I mean, we are constantly doing it. You know, uh, none of us like to do a lot of things that we do. I think having AI coupled with automation would help us there. And, and you know, so I look at, okay, we go from a, uh, a universe of scarcity to a universe of abundance, right? So maybe you don't have to work. You know, I mean, I'm still, I'm still hoping that autom- automation yeah. would obsolete the yeah. amount of work I do, but it doesn't, right? I mean, so we've had all kinds of technology advances. It's not made us obsolete. Uh, I don't think AI would, right?
1: <laughs> yeah, I agree with that. But uh, and, and I also agree with the mundane work. You know, I have yet to meet somebody who enjoys doing expense reports for example. Or to meet somebody that doesn't do it, right? That is we true. Still do it. That is true. Yeah. Yes, that is true. That is one aspect on, on, the, on the higher level. But I'm also thinking about, and, and I've read about this, that those modern technologies, they don't necessarily know the truth because obviously they're guessing, right, uh, as, as prediction. Um, but they do this in a very convincing way. So does that mean that we as people just say, "Oh, I'm gonna trust the the machine"? You know, if if it went fifty thousand times this way, the fifty thousandth first time it will also go that way. So that we as humans become lazy in our little day-to-day decisions, right? And and yeah. as you know, they they pile up, yeah. right? You you do a hundred minor bad decisions, and then you're in a big hole that you can't yeah. climb out.
0: It, uh, but see, the thing there, Roland is think about how we make decisions, right? We make decisions in the same way that they would, the machines would. We base it on experience, right? We, we, uh, we work somewhere for a, a few years. We understand how things work. We almost build an intuition at that point to say, I think I know what's going on here. Let me just go back and check over there and you check over there and you're able to actually solve the problem, right? So a lot of our, the way we actually operate is some combination of skill that we learn right, to do something. yeah. And a lot of it is experience, right? Because you, you've you been doing this so long that, that you almost develop a sense about what you do, which is, the, which is the exact way the machines will make a decision. So yeah, will they be wrong every once in a while? Sure, they'll be wrong. Are we wrong every once in a while? Of course we're wrong. I mean, when a doctor diagnoses you, they could be wrong, right? They could actually prescribe a treatment that doesn't work. And so that will happen. Will it happen more often than than when we make decisions based on the more traditional approach? I don't think so.
2: Well, one of my concerns here is about liability. I know that's a lot of, mm-hmm. like, you know, what was, was a famous quote? Uh, a, a computer can never be held responsible, therefore a computer cannot make a management decision. I think that was a really famous quote that's been passed around here. And with AI, this feels like a uh, we are almost saying AI could tell us... How to make our company better, but we need to put a human in place almost as a gut check for the what does what does make sense? Does this make sense with the business? Does this make sense with me as a human being who operates in a process-based organization, or is this just nonsense that an AI mistakenly extracted from a combination of data fields? I
0: think the human beings will always be involved in in making some level of discernment on what's going on, mainly because you know the the human beings are setting the objectives, right? Because we're using the AI because we want something, right? Right. We are deciding what the outcomes are gonna be. AI is not gonna fully decide that for us, right? The other thing is that AI might give us answers, but we are asking the questions, right? So I think in the world of AI, the questions are way more important than the answers. And, And so you would always need people to actually ask the right questions or to look at things in the right way or to decide what they want, right? Why? Why to do anything in the first place, right? You know. So I think that part won't go away. It's just that the accuracy, in some ways, of how you do it, or the efficiency in which you do it, would would be interesting. Which just means you're you're going to be a lot more productive,
1: right? Yeah, it reminds me a lot of uh, the the whatever robotic revolution in the 70s and 80s. You know, when when in Germany all the car manufacturers now kicked out all their welders and replaced them with robots and you see the cars under the ceiling and, and all those type of things, you know, where, where people said, oh, this is the end of work and, and it wasn't, you know. I think it's more like that we're feeling uncomfortable because this thing is new and we all know that the hardest things to change are people and mm-hmm. uh, I think that's a bunch of skills that each and every one of us has to learn and to pick up to, like I said, to ask the right questions, except that you don't ask a person, you ask a machine.
0: Yeah, but, but we do have to think about, you know, the level of productivity that's enabled by these technologies. How do we want to look at work, right? And people have started doing that, right? You know, how much do we have to work, right? You know, do you actually need to work to be able to live, so there's a there's a number of things that people are looking at to say you know do we look at universal basic income right do we look at to say i want to decouple sort of earning a living from the work mm-hmm. i do maybe right in the future i, I, I don't say that's going to happen that that sounds utopian but but then, there is a possibility that you're not actually working for a paycheck right you're working because you find things interesting and you work on that and that we have so much abundance in the in the positive way of looking at it that
2: don't have to worry about that stuff right you know the things yeah. you need are yeah, there you just take it right well we, we, both Rowan and I are lovers of course of Star Trek and the post-scarcity world right. that, that you're describing is something that is you know it feels like a good thing to aim towards yeah. obviously work still needs to be done and today we're, we're, we're trying to point towards a place where Dull work, that that mindless work, the work where you feel like you're just paying hours of your life in exchange for dollars and currency, that that kind of stuff is is something we're trying to reduce, particularly for knowledge workers like the folks who work in the organizations you you consult to and and you worked with. Um, my question here is, how is technology? So we getting back to operational intelligence as a focus here. How does technology? Uh, Enable it. What does a stack look like of technology today that's enabling an operational intelligence-focused development of new process, development of of new responses to threats or responses to opportunities in an organization's operations? And what is that stack looking like for you as a predictive analysis tomorrow?
0: Yeah, so I think there are – let me list them one by one and see if that makes sense, right? Sure. You have – You have, first of all, right, the ability to discover your processes, right? To actually understand where you are. The technologies that are tied to discovering your processes are uh, process mining, task mining, as well as now Gen AI, where you can actually ingest existing process information through your documents, uh, diagrams, people just talking about the processes. So I think if you take those three things, right, things that are in people's heads, there are documents, things lying around, plus process mining and task mining, so that the three technology stacks, along with people, of course, to get the first part, right, which is I I do now understand what my processes are. Now, once you do understand your processes, you, you need to then be able to design better ones right So there are right. technologies for that right so there is there are technologies for you know the, the more what we call traditional process management right where you can look at a process diagram you can consult with your peers you can make incremental updates you can get input from your team on what what those are and so on so there is there is a technology stack for just business process management where you have a process repository that allows consultative improvement, of process design. So that's, the, uh, that's, I think we have now four. Yep. Thanks. Once you do design those processes, right? The next thing you have to do is to say, okay, how will these processes perform in the real world? So that I can, I can choose the best design or I can adjust my design and so on. So right. for that, right, we think simulation is an interesting aspect there. You can, you can take your real world data that you collect plenty of and, and kind of run it through your process without implementing it, right? You can run it through your model and say, okay, well, if, if I run this data, what are my outcomes on the other end of the process? So you so you know how much each business activity takes, how many resources you have, where things get blocked or don't get blocked. So you can run this a few times, few hundred thousand times, I guess, whatever you want to do to then figure out, okay, will these things work and how well will they work in the real world? So, so now you have simulation, technologies that, that you can deploy. Sure. And then as you, as you look at getting it into production, after your designs are done and you're doing simulations and you understand your processes, you can say, okay, I now know what my processes look like. What should I automate, right? Are there things I can automate? Are there areas where I spend too much time or cost, it costs too much money? Or it becomes a bottleneck for, you know, uh, upstream activities, right? So, so those are the processes I can reasonably. Those, those are the activities I can reasonably automate. So now you can bring in automation technologies to do that, right? So you can you can deploy RPA, you can deploy digital assistants, you can deploy workflow automation. There's a number of automation technologies, right? When when people normally hear automation, they think RPA, that's not the case. There's, <laughs> there's a whole spectrum of technologies that help you. Just depends on what you're trying to automate, right? So you can now deploy automation technologies. And then as you get into deployment, that's when you can do things for monitoring, right? So, so once your process is in production, you need to, to have sort of sensors, you know, on the process to see how it's doing. Uh, they're not physical sensors. They are, they're they things that we uh, we collect from systems, right? We see you know we do an X-ray on the process to see how how things are going. So there are there are technologies that allow you to to connect those sources in streaming ways and then monitor stuff coming in. And part of that is process mining technology because instead of doing it you know, statically the first time you're also doing it continuously as the process executes. So you have that. And then you have, of course, the predictive analytics part that we were talking about earlier, which would then, based on the previous executions of those processes, predict what's going to happen and allow you to do things, right? We also think there are technologies around compliance, right? You know, the the whole management of, of risk and controls and those that that's sort of infused across that entire life cycle that you have to worry about. But even here, right, you could predict compliance problems with predictive analytics, for example, you can say, oh, you missed a compliance step," which means that this thing is gonna fail because your auditor is not gonna let you go far from here, right? So so you can apply the same set of technologies to discover maybe your compliance problems, to discover risks, to to mitigate risks, or to even understand the risks where you are, or to automate controls if, if
2: certain Elements of risk occur, right? So that's that, that's a whole lot, right? Yeah, it is a whole lot. Today that's a whole lot, right? It's all I'm I'm hearing discovery, I'm hearing blueprinting, I'm hearing sort of you know battle testing or pre-testing of comparative testing of processes, I'm hearing automation, I'm hearing analysis and, and check back, I'm hearing predictive analysis, I'm hearing compliance testing. All of these things feel like that's a huge tech stack to get to operational intelligence.
0: So don't do that, right? So so what I'm saying is, <laughs>
2: yeah, yeah, I think there's a level of
0: maturity that people go through, right? So this is not something that you will implement on day one, right? right? I wouldn't recommend that. I think I would take a more modest approach.
2: A modest approach is something we can start talking about very soon. Because we're going to leave everyone with a brief break for their brains after 35 minutes of hanging out with us. And we're going to leave you with a couple of questions to think about right now before we go more into the how itself. So think about you and your organization's approach to operational intelligence, dear audience. How are you addressing your challenges? What technologies have you introduced? What approaches have you found valuable? And maybe where have you strayed from the path? Or you've created maybe false insights, or not achieved some of your strategic goals. We'll leave you for a moment and come back with our second section, a deeper dive into the how.
1: And welcome back to our second segment of our operational intelligence uh, episode with Shoaib Javet. Um, Shoaib, I really love what you said, but I'm also a little bit scared, right? Because just before the break, you spoke about, I think, six or seven different technologies that are stacked on top of each other. And, and I was just thinking in my mind, oh boy, you know, I, I barely got my feet wet with modeling processes and with with implementing uh, pilot projects for process mining and yes I, I looked a little bit into all the other stuff you know simulation and whatnot but I'm definitely not mature enough of that so my, my question to you now is if I'm the client is what would be your answer do, do I need to bring in everything at the same time or what would be an appropriate approach from your perspective
0: yeah so what we discussed in the last segment was the realm of possibilities and it's important for people to be aware of everything that you, you have access to that you can use when the time is right, okay? And, and so what we recommend is you do it in stages, right? There's a level of maturity that you get to, and this occurs naturally, right? So don't worry about it. You will, you will add in capabilities as you think you need them, as you think that you're at a level of maturity where you might find those things useful for yourself. I think the basics. What I would do is a find a reason for why you're doing this first of all, right? Don't do it if you're trying to fit something in where you don't have clear objectives, right? So, so if you're picking a supply chain process, I would spend some time thinking about what problems do you want to solve. I think this seems very straightforward to me, right? Seems straightforward to a lot of people, but in practice, right, people want to look at technology first, and then find a way to apply it to create a problem that they could then solve with it, right? Don't do it, don't do that, right? First thing you do is, okay, fine, you you look at your key processes, maybe one or two of them, right? Don't look at all of them, and say, okay, this is important to me, this process, and I feel like I have real challenges that I need to solve. Doesn't matter which process it is, I'm sure you will find them fairly quickly. But start yeah. with the problem, right? start with the question, don't start with the answer, right? So first start with the question of saying, okay, well, you know, there's one process. I don't, I want to try to make that process better because we have, you know, 30% of our revenue that goes through that process and we want to see if we can improve our profit margins by X, right? Or we want to deliver, improve our delivery timelines by Y. Have some goals, right? To say, okay, what what is it that you want to improve? Once you know that, then you have a reason to do something, right? And the first thing I would do, right, is to just get that process down into a system, right? Just, just actually, I, I use the word documentation, but at least get information, you know, a, a process diagram in place for, for that process. You, you can accelerate this by using process mining if you think that helps you. And sometimes it's possible, right? Sometimes, if if the, if the information, if that process is using some set of applications, for example, SAP, right, or Oracle, or Microsoft Dynamics, or what have you, if you if you have systems where that process gets executed, Salesforce would be another one, or Workday, you know, there are usually APIs and data available that that would be straightforward enough to hook up, right? So so get get some level of process discovery hooked up along with your own knowledge and understanding to just map out the process, see what's going on, right? And just, just doing that, right? Because you have multiple divisions, you have multiple parts of your company, you'll find out that that process is being executed in many, many different variations that you don't know of and you don't know why. Right. so the first part is just when you when you get that discovery you'll find out that different people do this process differently and for no good reason and so so there's a way to standardize or, or the way to harmonize how that process executes across your company just that right in and of itself will actually give you benefits that that you can show as tangible results right you know we work with a very large company that plans to save literally tens of millions of dollars, if not more than a hundred million dollars, just by rationalizing their processes across their acquisitions and different divisions, right? Nothing very special, right? Just understanding the process information, seeing how it's done, and then making sure that it's sort of standardized and optimized across various divisions, various countries, various, you know, subsidiary companies. Okay, that's one way to start. Um, Once you have that, right? once you have a process done that way yep you're already showing results right so this is very important right don't mm. don't put a five year plan don't don't say i'm going to do 10 processes and i'm going to have some modest goals and and, and do and and do it iteratively right so start with a process improve one metric right maybe you improve a single metric which is you know um, i i need to uh, deliver 10% faster right or whatever just improve one metric right. You can then add more metrics. You know, you can you can say, okay, I want to improve my user experience by X because I, I want them to spend less time on some particular aspect of the process, right? Or, or I want to in, improve my capacity, right? If I'm a bank and I process, say, 50 loans in a month, I want to process now 75. So so there's capacity improvements, right? There are cost improvements, or there are end user experience improvements. Or some combination of those, so you can, yeah. you can you can define more metrics for the same process. Okay, then you add processes. Now I'm, I'm not adding any more technology. I can add some more processes to the mix. All right, spread it wide. Before I'm going to achieve the same result for a different set of processes that I've started off with. Right. Okay. What you're now doing is you're you are getting yourself familiarized with how to think about your business processes, how to manage them, how to think about optimizing them and so on. You have now metrics, you have a framework to do more, right? Okay, so so what happens then is to say, I like this, right? This one division, this two processes have improved. I want to do this sort of company-wide, right? Now technology can help you, right? How do I get that bulk set of process information into the system now? okay, I can go talk to people and I can have them write documents and I'll never be done. <laughs> or I can start to use some other technology to get that information in, right? So this right. is where you optimize the input of process information into the system. And I right. think this is where some of the discovery technologies we were talking about earlier can come in, right? You could, you could look at task mining, you could look at Gen AI, you could look at other areas to just get information out of people's heads or from systems or wherever into this repository, right? So you're still on the discovery yeah. side, you're still on the understanding, you haven't done any simulation, you haven't done anything else, right? You're just kind of expanding from one or two processes to, to more processes and now you're going company-wide to try to get this information in a repository.
2: Mm-hmm. Right?
0: Now, what you also do is, you know there are artifacts associated with the process, right? It's not just the process diagram, it's you know work instructions, it's related documentation, it could be compliance things, right? So the fact that everyone is looking at this and using it already starts to add a level of maturity to the process knowledge that you have,
2: right? Right. Visibility is value.
0: Right. Visibility is value because if I'm using it and people are seeing it and they they log on to it, then they say, well, this is not quite right. You know, I don't do this or that there's a missing document. I'll just add it over here. So, So again, people are helping you augment that information quite significantly as it goes along.
1: Yeah, I think it's, it's and you and I spoke about this multiple, multiple times. It's like when you do the transfer, what Google Maps does, right? Google has solved the problem of creating the base map by sending out those creepy self-driving cars with the big cameras on the roof, right? And uh, I think the mining technologies that you mentioned, uh, the the AI, the involvement of people is exactly the same thing. You create the base map for additional, more value add products or activities that you put on top of it.
0: And and here is where right, you have to enlist your organization. Right, people always discount the organization. Right, they say, ah, oh, I got technology, I got all these systems, I got all this data. It's nice, right, but but unless people find value from what you have already done, they will not participate in making it better, right? You guys know this. I'm sure in your podcast, everyone says the same thing. (laughs) So there's got to be a, there must be a simple non-headache way to involve people to help you out, right? And, And the only way to do that is to give them something useful or meaningful, right? So, you know, if I need process information or I need to look at work instructions or I need to do something and my job becomes easier, then I'll do it. And then if you, if you let me make comments, right? If, if all you can say is this doesn't look right. You know, very simple, right? I I think that this business activity is not the way we do it, right? Or that this process is not right. Whatever it is, just let them give you some information, and that's all, right? Just type it in a comment, right? This is not good. This instruction is wrong. Whatever it is, right? So so you can get that input and and, and keep that thing current. You know, fairly yeah. well. First process mining will help you. The technology will help you. The collaboration features of your process repository will help you. But it's yeah. got to be easy for people to tell you stuff. You know, that's that's what I think. So because then they can they can really contribute to to what's going on.
2: Yeah, and it seems like a mark of success would be the open communication from the various stakeholders. But that can't be your only mark of success. I mean, I I think we've been talking. A lot about how to do it now let's investigate how it's measured because when you think about operational intelligence and this this stack of technology some of which may be involved earlier or later in your maturity journey what do you look at to understand where people are on this journey and how can you advise people to look at themselves to see whether or not their efforts are making a difference yeah, so there are a set of KPIs that you can define that, that you are looking at, right? Are there common ones, like common common things everyone would expect, or are they different for every company?
0: There are common ones, right? And I think there's a, there is one of our webinars where we go into great detail on, on KPIs, right? But again, like I said, there are three buckets of them, right? There are cost buckets, right? There is, there is capacity buckets, and then there are end user experience buckets, right? Mm-hmm. And we, we can fit the KPIs in those. I would say don't have don't have a hundred of them, right? Have a few. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
2: Oh, you can't measure all that,
0: right? You you can't no. focus. So you, you just say, okay, look, here's our cost to produce this gadget, right? And we can we can measure it through aggregating costs of different parts of the process. Easy enough to do, right? You know, and and that you can see it, right? So so you can you can attach a set of metrics to your business processes or entire customer journey, which is a bigger construct has multiple processes and multiple departments or a single process, whatever it is. And and you can visualize it. You can see it right below the process, right? For us, we we show those metrics right there so you know what's going on. And the idea is to look at them, right? To look at them and see if those metrics are actually improving. Uh, And you can look at them, you know, week over week or quarter over quarter, right? to see whether actually you're improving
1: and then you can measure that, right? So that gives you an idea of, of what's going on. And I think you, have, you make a pretty good point here because uh, when I when I look at it, and obviously I'm biased, right? When when I look at tools, um, most process management tools give you a diagram, right? In either auto-created or manually created or whatnot, but it's not live. You know, it's not what you see. When you look at metrics, yeah, you can click on a step and then you have to go into the properties and the properties has 27 uh, options. And uh, on field 35, you then see, oh, yeah, this is the estimated time, how long this thing goes. I think this is this misses the point, because if if you don't see the metric, you know, if you don't see the metric, you don't change your behavior.
0: Yeah, that doesn't work anymore, right? So so the the one thing that technology can do for you is to collect and aggregate those metrics and show it to you in a way that makes that's meaningful to you in the context of what you're looking at, right? So that part is hard to do, but that's what a good product or a good solution should do for you is to, to be able to aggregate and show you those metrics. I think, Roland, you mentioned something interesting, right? people have living, breathing processes, right? It's not a dead diagram, right? That's not what a solution does for you, right? You don't just show you a dead diagram on, you know, <laughs> it's and say, a new process, right? It's never gonna change. Now, <laughs> it's it's gotta keep up, it's gotta make it come alive, right? So whatever process model or a process discovered process you started with, it should allow you to evolve it, change it, modify it, show, show live metrics, right? And also, here, what we can do is, you know, you can pull information from process mining and sort of overlay it on top of your design to say, hey, how, how are people in the real world actually conforming to the design or not, right? So it's oh, easier yeah. for you to see the real world versus your nice design to say, okay, is it, is it the same, right? And so all this information can be dynamically pulled, collected, aggregated, and then shown in a consumable way, right? A simple way.
2: Yeah, I, I have two things about this. First and foremost, to say that every time anyone says digital twin but actually means snapshot, my heart breaks because yes. if you think your company is standing still, you're not only are you wrong, but if you were right, you are destined for failure. Your company is always evolving, and so a digital twin itself, by its very nature, has to evolve with your company. Sure. But the second, the second thing is that you know when people are. Updating information, when things are changing, how do you see the pull or push of information to key stakeholders going? Do people get notified? Do people have to stay uh, you know, alert and go and check themselves? Like what works best for key stakeholders in this, this evolving process intelligence landscape? I think that people
0: need to be notified more than anything else. And they don't want to be notified by email anymore, right? So, so it's got to come into text messaging or Slack or something that, you know, Teams or something yeah, that you can do something modern about. Modern stuff, yeah. Better, right? As opposed to getting a email notification, which you won't read because you have thousands of them. Uh, that's part of it, right? But the part of it is to just get into the habit of using it, right? I mean, maybe you come in and you see that there's a dashboard there or, again, the dashboard is such an overused term, Right. Mm-hmm. Maybe the the couple of processes yeah, you yeah. care about show up, right? And you see them, right? And so and therefore you know what's going on. The idea is, right, people don't use this is because they're overwhelmed by the amount of information, right? So so you gotta make it less information and relevant. And and again, part of this, you know, as we talked about before, we want to make this information relevant to everybody in the company, given their role and what department or what processes they are interested in, right? So if I am in compliance, right, I don't want to see metrics about some operational efficiency. I don't care about. I only want to see compliance metrics, right? If I am just a regular company employee, I only want to see things that are relevant to me in terms of things that can help me do my job better, right? So, so again, this is a whole minimalist approach where you you narrow the focus down to only a few things and only relevant things, right, and not and not give all the information and then you have to sift through it, right? So that I think that part we have to change is to, to reduce the amount of information and only give information that's relevant at the time that's relevant and also the person. So what we are looking at to do now is we're looking at doing persona-based applications, right? We're, we're not doing one application, which is huge and monolithic, but saying, what would a compliance person do, right? Or what would a person mm. that, uh, in the warehouse do? Or what yeah. would somebody? So, so we, are, we are getting to more tailored micro applications, if you will, that aggregate together to make our system rather than one application where you have to do all kinds of navigation to get to what you need.
2: That sounds like a very powerful feature. But that also leads into a question about administration and configuration for these tailored applications to become available as standalone products. I suspect they might want well, to standalone, but I suppose um, uh, as, as, as a separate interface into the same product.
0: They're not a separate interface, right? So, so it's like there is a, a base set of infrastructure that you configure, right? Like authentication or, or other, you know, your language that you use or whatever, right? So there's, there's a whole set of common set of things that get configured and managed, right? And, yeah. And what's happening is you're constructing these applications by taking blobs of functionality and composing them. Ah, like a, like a microservice for your app. Yeah. Right. You're, you're, you're constructing an app to say, which of the capabilities do I want to compose together into, say, 10 screens or five screens that somebody is interested in? And that when they log in and based on that role, I want to show them that. It's the same application, of course, right? It it goes to the same backend. Everything is the same. But it's packaged in a way that's meaningful. And it's reusing functionality because, again, I might want to use some process mining thing and I want to add it on top of a process diagram. I want to add Mm -hmm. some APIs. It's just making those things more
1: modular and composable. Uh, At the end of the day, I think it's important to... Uh, If you could talk a little bit about where you see uh, this thing going, because right now in the past process management was something for specialists. And and I know that you have a different opinion on this.
0: Yeah. So, so I think, you know, when you bring up the word process, people think headache, right? That I have to actually do something that is not part of my day-to-day job. I have to take time, I have to document something, and the moment I document it, it becomes obsolete, and so why are we doing this? That's how it used to be. In some ways, that's still how it is. So our perspective is to to remove that headache, right? That you don't have to do a lot of work to get good process information that you can use. So we want to make sure that this process information is available to everybody in the company and is useful to everybody in the company, not just a small number of process analysts or business analysts. And that's what will get the real outcomes that you desire from improving your processes because it's the people that that are actually doing work that impact the processes or impact the outcomes not the people that design not only the people that design the processes okay yes the people that design the processes have a big part of it but the people that actually run the processes use it execute it have a lot to say and can benefit quite a bit from it so we have this concept of process intelligence for all which means that we want to provide this information in a meaningful way to thousands of people, tens of thousands of people across the company. We have large customers that have literally tens of thousands of people using our products. And what we want to do is to actually improve your micro decisions just slightly. So if every employee in your company makes, say, 10 decisions a day, and they do it slightly better every day, and you multiply that out by the 100,000 employees you have, that is what's going to move the needle. It's not just the big decisions, but we believe it's the small decisions, right? It's the small decisions made every day by tens of thousands of people that actually improve your business outcomes. And we want to provide that process intelligence to those tens of thousands of people so that they can make slightly better decisions every single day. That's our perspective. And so that shows up in our products, that shows up in our solutions, shows up in the way we communicate, shows up in the way we consult, deliver our services.
2: Well, wow, I love that. I love that you can make small decisions and they, and they stack up to big value. That's kind of the, the, the same thing. It's the reverse of stacking tolerances. It is, it's stacking success on success as you grow. And I, I think this leads us to a conclusion and final question for this episode to our audience. Where are you and your organization on this journey? You've got operational intelligence, as a promise with different technology components that can be introduced over your evolution? What have you got today? Where have you seen them successful? And how are you looking to evolve that journey to your goal of meaningful improvement? We'll leave you for a moment and come back with our final thoughts and conclusions for the episode. <laughs>
1: And welcome back to the last segment of today's conversation with Um, Maybe just a quick summary. What what did we talk about? Obviously, we, we spoke about Shorab's background. You know, we're all, were jealous that he studied in Hawaii. Um, and maybe we move there when we grow up. Um, but then, obviously, we spoke about what is <laughs> operational intelligence? What are the impact on the business that we have? And what technologies do you have? And I have to admit, I was a little bit scared when Shorab listed up those six, seven things on top of it and I was happy to hear that that his recommendation is not to start with everything at the same time but build it up step by step by step oh yeah and then obviously we spoke about um, the how to measure the success of your initiatives that you have uh, which is also then small by small but hey there's one big question that obviously comes out uh out of those conversations uh up. where can people reach you and and how do they get in contact with you if they want to a continue this conversation or have a very, very specific question about how to do certain things in uh, ops intelligence.
0: Yeah. So you can reach me at uh, show You can also find a lot more information, you know, on our website, on our LinkedIn page. There is a number of webinars and other informational things that we do. Yeah. My goal is to help you with your questions and try to get you into some useful Use of our solutions, right? And then if we can help, we'll be happy to help.
1: Yeah, and I will put all the links in the show notes. So, public service announcement don't take notes while you're driving. Um, (laughs) You will find them uh, on our website at whatsyourbase.comslash episode 60.
2: Oh, and that's a great pitch for What's Your Baseline? Because, hey, friends, thank you so much for listening to this episode. Thank you so much to Show Up for being here and giving us a real clinic on operational intelligence and maybe your first steps towards the value you're looking for. If you love the episode, please share it around. Tell your friends, bring in other like-minded business professionals who'd love to hear more about this kind of thing, demystifying process and architecture through What's Your Baseline. Once again, go to whatsyourbaseline.com for this episode at episode 60, but other articles and episodes along our whole What's Your Baseline podcast. And of course, come to LinkedIn, leave a comment ask us a question we'd love to interact with you there and we can give you lots of our thoughts and insights on exactly this topic in fact i had somebody this week reach out to me asking how i could help them with a bpmn model hey happy to chat friend so until the next one though we will see you then i've been jm erlinson and i've been Shoeb up and my name is and we will see you perhaps next season